As I said last Sunday, I believe that many Christians feel distant from God. Many Christians feel that their relationship with God is anything but personal because they have not dealt with their sins. They have not honestly owned their sins. They have not honestly recognized their failures to honor God as God. And they have not brought those sins to God for forgiveness and repentance and faith. And so if you are here this morning and you feel distant from God and and you feel separated from Him and you feel estranged, then, then I want to challenge you that it's possible that the reason for that estrangement is It's because you are not dealing honestly with your sins. You need to bring your sins to God. You need to bring your sins to Him, seeking His forgiveness. Not because you deserve it, but because He has already bought it in Christ. If you do not deal with your sins, if you do not own your sins honestly and bring them to God for forgiveness, you cannot know true fellowship with Him. Without forgiveness, there cannot be forgiveness. This is what David experienced in Psalm 32. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. That's the experience of one who has not dealt with his sins. He is, he is still a believer. He, he, is, he is still united to Christ. And yet when he does not own his sins, when he does not confess his sins, when he does not bring them to God for forgiveness, his relationship is harmed. The joy of salvation is taken away. And so last week we, we saw that as sort of our, our beginning place. We, we saw why it is that we need to deal with our sins. Jesus tells us to deal with our sins daily because he knows That we must deal with our sins daily if we are to enjoy the full benefits of our union with Christ. If we are to know the full benefits of our relationship with Him. But that then brings us to our our next question. Our our sort of next logical question as we we wrestle with this petition. I've been saying all along that there's a a logic to this prayer. That there's a progression to the petitions. In the first half of the prayer, Jesus sets our priorities in order. As he teaches us to pray for for God's glory and for for God's kingdom and for God's will to be done. Those, Those first petitions set our priorities. These are our chief ambitions. These are the things that we desire above all else. But then in the second half of the prayer... He begins to teach us to pray for the things we need in order to pursue those goals, in order to to seek the things that he has set before us as of first importance. So what are the things that Jesus thinks we need in order to serve God's honor, in order to serve his kingdom, in order to do his will? What are the things that Jesus thinks we need? Well, he he names three. First, we, we need bread. Second, we need forgiveness. And third, we need protection or, or deliverance. So this raises the question that's before us this morning. It's not hard for us to, to understand why we need bread in order to seek God's kingdom, in order to, to serve his honor. We, we recognize that we're physical beings. We have physical needs. Those needs, under normal circumstances, need to be met if we are going to honor God with our lives. We need food to eat if we're going to have energy to actually do something. Now, there are times, as we saw, when God uses our lack of food, actually, to allow us to glorify him. But under normal circumstances, our physical needs need to be met in order for us to to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. So we recognize why he teaches us to pray for bread. But why do we need forgiveness? How does forgiveness enable and equip us 
to, to serve the honor of God and to seek first his kingdom? That's the question that I want us to wrestle with. And we find our answer actually in what we've already said. I've already said that we need daily forgiveness in order to maintain a healthy relationship with God. If we are to to maintain our communion with our Heavenly Father, if we are to to be in intimate personal relationship with Him, if we are to, to abide in Him as we are commanded to do, then we must daily be dealing with our sins. And what I want you to see is that that is the answer to the question. That is why we need to deal with our sins in order to live lives worthy of our calling. Think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, describing his own calling. When Paul thinks about what he's been called to do, he's been called to be a minister of the gospel. He's been called to take the gospel to those who have, who have not heard the name of Christ before. And when he thinks about that ministry, when he thinks about the calling to, to proclaim Christ, who he says is the aroma of death to those who are perishing and the aroma of life to those who are being saved, when he thinks about the magnitude of that calling, he asks this question. He says, who is sufficient for these things? Who is possibly up to fulfilling such a calling? It is, it is beyond him. He, he recognizes, I can't do it. Now, I suspect that in our day and age, there are some who would be tempted to correct Paul at this point. There are, there are some who would be tempted to, to tell Paul not to be so hard on himself. There would be some who would, who would tell Paul to have a better self-esteem and to, to think more highly of his own abilities. Oh, you can do it. This is the way we like to talk to people today. But Paul wasn't wrong. Paul was actually right. Paul was acknowledging the the truth. He was not sufficient to the task to which he had been called. He could not do it in himself. And so Paul was right to say, who is sufficient for these things? I am not competent to be a minister of the gospel. That is not poor self-esteem. That is an honest recognition of who he is. And yet we all know that Paul doesn't stop there. We sometimes miss it because they have these chapter divisions and and there's a chapter division at this point. But Paul actually goes on to continue that conversation and he goes on to say this. He says, I am not sufficient, but our sufficiency is from God. God makes me competent. God gives me the competency I need to do the things that he has called me to do. Paul knew he was not sufficient in and of himself And yet he knew that God made him sufficient. In God, in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, Paul could do what he had been called to do. Now, of course, Paul is talking about his calling. He's talking about his particular vocation. But I do not think it is a misuse of the text to to apply what he says to all of our callings. I think all of us can, can look at the things that we have been called to do and say, who is sufficient for these things? Just think about the things that you have been called to do. If you are a husband here this morning, you have been called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You have been called to give yourself for her. If you are a wife, you have been called to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. If you are a parent, you have been called to raise your children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. If you are a child, you have been called to honor and obey your parents in everything. If you are a neighbor, you've been called to love your neighbor as yourself. You've been called to do good to others at every opportunity. 
You've been called to put the interest of others before your own all the time. You've been called to confess Christ before men. You've been called to do justice and love mercy. You've been called to be an agent of God's shalom, especially for those who are most marginalized and and most at risk. These are the things that you have been called to do as a follower of Christ. These are your vocations. And when you think about the magnitude of what you have been called to do, when you think about the life that you have been called to live, it should not take you long to mouth Paul's question, to say, who is sufficient for these things? I can't do it. It is beyond me. You're not sufficient for the work you have been called to. To do, But with Paul, you can go past the chapter division. You can go on to say, but God makes me sufficient. By the Holy Spirit at work in me through Christ, I am able to live a life worthy of the calling that I have received. You see, it is in God, in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, it is in fellowship with the triune God that we are able to do what we have been called to do. It is as His immeasurable power is at work in us that we are able to live lives worthy of His name, fully pleasing to Him. And that is why we need daily forgiveness. We need to daily tend to our relationship with God because it is only in communion with Him, it is only in fellowship with Him that we are enabled and empowered to live the Christian life. It is only in fellowship with Him that we are able to do what we have been given to do by our Heavenly Father. It's vital that we see this. I know many, many Christians who who see all the power language in the New Testament. They see all this talk about the immeasurable power of God and about the, the gospel coming with power. And they're like, I don't get that. What is he talking about? Where is all this power? I'm not experiencing that. And part of the reason for that is we don't really always understand what power is for. We, we always think that, that power is for this quick and easy victory when often in the New Testament power is for long endurance. Powances for, for, for enduring long under, under trial. So, so part of the problem is we don't really understand what power is for. But there's another problem. And the other problem is that we actually are powerless. The other problem is that we actually aren't experiencing the power because we are not in fellowship with God. We are cut off from our relationship with Him because we have not dealt with our sins, because, because we have not honestly brought our debts before Him and asked for His grace. You see, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons we fail to experience God's power is that we have unforgiven debt. We may be asking for God's power to deal with a certain sin, or we may be asking with God to do a certain thing, but the reality is that that we're not truly honoring Him as God. We are not truly submitting our whole lives to Him. We're not truly uh, devoting ourselves to Him as a whole burnt offering, but rather we're asking Him to sort of be our genie in a bottle. We're asking Him to kind of help us do what we were already trying to do anyway. And God says, no, deal with your debt. Recognize your debt. Recognize your failure to honor me and turn from it. Confess it as sin. Return to me and I will return to you. If you would know God's power to live a life worthy of your calling. If that is your longing this morning, then I challenge you, deal 
honestly with your debt. Deal honestly with your sins. Bring your sins before God, confessing them for what they are and asking for Him to cleanse you not only from their guilt but also from their power in your life. Confess your self-interest. Confess your self-concern. Confess your self-absorption and turn from them to God with the full purpose of walking in new obedience to Him. Because it is only as we do that that we will be vessels for honorable use. That's what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy. He says, listen, if you want to be a vessel for honorable use, if you, if you want to, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have been called, if you want to be a, a, a vessel of honorable use in God's kingdom, then cleanse yourself. And how do you do that? You cleanse yourself by coming to God for His grace. By coming under the blood of Christ that has been spilled that you might be forgiven. And that's vital that you see that. That's, the, that's our second point this morning. I know what some of you hear me saying, you have to deal with your sin. You, you have to deal with your sin in order to, to have a fellowship with God. And you have to be in fellowship with God if you're going to live a life worthy of your calling. And all that you can hear me saying is, you've got to earn it. It's not what I'm saying. That's what you're hearing. You're hearing me say, you've got to, to earn it. And I want to challenge you, that's not... What Jesus is saying, that's not what I am saying. You can't earn it. It's already been earned. The gift of forgiveness has already been bought and, and paid for. Jesus' blood and righteousness is the only possible ground of the forgiveness of sins. You cannot merit atonement. You cannot merit forgiveness. But your participation in that forgiveness is conditional. It's conditional. You must repent and believe. You, you must repent. You must turn from your sins and you must turn to God with the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. You must ask God to, to cleanse you from both the guilt and the power of sin. You must ask Him to, to set you free that you might walk in new obedience. If you have no intention of honoring God as God after the fact, He's not going to forgive you for failing to honor Him as God before the fact. That's what it means to ask for forgiveness. It's to own your sins. It's to, it's to recognize that your sin was sin. It's to, to turn from it and to seek forgiveness for it. And so what God is asking, what Jesus is teaching us to do here, He's not teaching us to bring our righteousness to God in exchange for His blessing. That would be legalism. That's, that's contrary to the Gospel. That's, that's contrary to everything the New Testament teaches. We don't bring our righteousness to God in exchange for His blessing. He's not telling us to bring our righteousness to God. He's, not, he's telling us to bring our sins. Bring your sins before your Father. But bring them honestly, acknowledging what they are, acknowledging your failures. And seek His grace. Ask that He would forgive. Ask that He would cleanse. Ask that He would set you free, that you might go in a new direction. That's what Jesus is, is challenging us to do here this morning. He says, deal daily with your sins. Bring them to your Father so that your fellowship with Him might not be hindered, so that your fellowship might be restored, so that you might again know the full joy of your salvation, so that you might again know the full power of His presence to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. But if that's true, if it's true that, that, that our forgiveness is purchased only by the blood of Christ, if it's, if it's true that all that we must do to receive that is to repent and believe, 
then how are we to make sense of what Jesus says after the comma? Because that's a real question. No, look again at what Jesus says. He says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Jesus teaches us to ask for forgiveness because we forgive others. And if that's not clear enough, we, we see it even more clearly in, in Matthew. In Matthew, Jesus, after teaching the Lord's Prayer, he goes on to say explicitly, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. How are, we, how are we to make sense of that? It sounds like Jesus is saying that God will only forgive us if we forgive others. But how can that be? How can, how can there be a condition like that on us receiving forgiveness from God, on, on us maintaining our relationship with God? How can there be that type of condition if it's all of grace? I think it's a good question. I want to answer it in two parts. First, I want to affirm that Jesus is saying what you think he's saying. Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive others, you will not be forgiven. There are those who who try to turn it around and try to make it say something else and, and try to say, well, Jesus is saying that you need to be forgiven in order to forgive. And that's actually true, but it's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying you must forgive in order to ask God for Forgiveness. You must forgive in order to be forgiven. It's what the words mean. That's patently obvious. I I don't know how we can get around from that. So I want to affirm that, that Jesus is saying what you think he's saying. But then I want to say this. I want to deny that this makes forgiveness dependent upon anything other than faith and repentance. We already said the condition for our participation in the, in the uh, forgiveness purchased by Christ is our faith and repentance. That is the condition that God himself has set forth. And Jesus isn't doing anything different right here. Jesus isn't setting forth an extra requirement. He's, he's not adding a, a new condition. He is simply showing us what faith and repentance looks like in this particular situation. This is what faith and repentance looks like when you've been sinned against. You see... Forgiving, granting grace, granting forgiveness to others is an expression of faith. It's an expression of faith in multiple ways. First of all, it's an expression of faith in God's goodness. When we forgive others, rather than demanding that they pay their debt, when we allow someone's debt to us to go unpaid, when we simply allow love to cover over their sin, what are we doing? We are trusting God to work for our good. Think about it. It is easy to forgive those debts that pose no real threat to your good. When someone sins against you in a way that you consider inconsequential, when you say, well, that didn't really do any harm, it's okay, don't worry about it. You ever ever been there? You're you're, You're able to forgive rather quickly, rather easily, those debts that don't really threaten your good. But there are some Debts. There are some wrongs that, that seem to pose a very real threat. 
There are some wrongs that are consequential. There are some wrongs that are, that are substantial. And those wrongs are much harder to forgive. In fact, those wrongs would be impossible to forgive if it were not for the fact that we have a Heavenly Father who is working all things together for our good. In fact, this is what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12. He says, forgive, don't take vengeance, do not return evil for evil, but rather trust your Heavenly Father to work it out. Trust that He is in charge. Trust that, that He will bring about justice. Trust that He will do what is, is right. And so when we forgive others, we are expressing confidence in God's goodness. We are saying that we trust God to work for our good even when those who are trying to harm us are working against it. So the first thing that we see is that, that Forgiveness is an expression of confidence. It's an expression of faith in God's goodness. But it's more than that. It's, it's also an expression of faith in God's grace. Jesus says that when you know that you have been forgiven, you will forgive others. We may not exactly understand how that dynamic works, but it's clearly taught. When you know you've been forgiven, you will forgive others. When you know your debt has been canceled. You will cancel the debt of others. If you are unwilling and unable to forgive, it's because you do not know yourself truly to be forgiven. When you see someone who who sins against you in ways that that you easily recognize, you're like, oh yeah, that's me. I do that. I've, I've, I've been forgiven for that many times. You're much freer to to forgive. And Jesus says, listen, when you know yourself to be a sinner, when you know yourself to be one who has sinned gravely against God and against neighbor, and when you know that your debt has been canceled, when you know that your debt has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are then able to offer forgiveness to others. And so forgiving is is an expression of of confidence, of, of faith in God's grace. And thirdly, it's an expression of faith in God's Greatness. It's an expression of faith, uh, an expression of, of confidence that you have truly bowed to God as Lord of Lord and King of Kings. It says uh, that you are no longer living for yourself, that you are no longer pursuing your own ends, you are no longer following your own agenda, but you are simply willing to do what your Lord gives you to do. And if He says forgive, you will forgive. There are are countless examples where where those who were formerly enemies had to come together for a greater cause because the the greater cause said, hey, listen, you guys have to get past your differences and you have to work together. Well, in some sense, that's what's what's going on here. We are able to to forgive. We're able to to cover over the, the offenses that have been occurred against us. We are able to forgive our enemies because one greater than our enemy has said, forgive. Be in fellowship. So far as it depends upon you, live at peace with that person. They may not be willing to live at peace with you. This command doesn't always mean that you're going to have perfectly harmonious relationships. Sometimes there are people in this world who simply will not not live at peace with you. But what does Paul say? So far as it depends on you, live at peace with that person. Be at peace. Do not hold a grudge. Do not keep a record of their wrongs. Do not set aside uh, their evil deeds as ammunition to use against them at a future date. But rather forgive the debt they owe against you because your God tells you to. Because you trust him. Because you know he's good. Because you know he's gracious. And so when Jesus says, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven, he's simply saying, if you are unwilling to forgive others, then you don't truly know what it is to repent and believe. 
This is what repentance and belief looks like in a, in a fallen world when others sin against you. It looks like letting love cover a multitude of sins. It looks like not returning evil for evil. It looks like living at peace so far as it depends on you. It looks like offering forgiveness to the one who has harmed you. So Jesus isn't giving us an extra condition. He's merely unpacking for us what it looks like to, to walk in faith when we have been sinned against. But if that's true, if this is really not a, a different condition, if this is just the same condition that really applies to the others as well, then why does Jesus make it explicit here? Why does he say it at this point? I don't think it's hard to figure what's going on here. Each and every one of us knows how easy it is to go through the motions of an apology. Each and every one of us knows how easy it is to mouth the words, I am sorry. Every time a politician gets caught, every time an athlete gets caught, they will apologize for something. Even if they don't really know what it is they're supposed to be apologizing for, they will say that they are sorry. And we do that. You know, how many times has, has someone come at you, maybe your spouse, maybe your child, they're angry about something. They're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, what is I sorry for? And you want to apologize. You want to just put it beyond you. You want to deal with it, get it out of the way. But Jesus is saying that's not the way this works. You have to truly own your sin. You have to truly understand your sin. You have to bring your sins before God seeking his pardon. And therefore, here's the test to see whether you truly understand what it is to repent and believe. Can you forgive others? If you can't forgive those who sin against you, it is a good indicator that you still have work to do on the home front. That you still have to figure out your own sin. So let's see if we can quickly bring all these pieces together. What is it that we see in this fourth petition? We see that our sins matter because they disrupt our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Our sins separate us from our, the communion that is ours in Christ. They do not break our union, but they, they break our fellowship. And therefore, because we need that communion in order to live lives worthy of our calling, because it is only in, in fellowship with Him that we are able to, to do what we've been called to do, we must deal with our sins daily. If you're going to daily live the life you've been called to live, you must daily deal with your sins. But in order to receive the forgiveness you need, you must repent and believe. And the test to see whether you have truly repented and believed is whether or not you are able to forgive those who sin against you. So here's the challenge that, that continues to, to set before you. Continue to pray this way. Continue to, to follow the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. Continue to begin your prayers with an invocation, naming the God to whom you pray. Remember that He is your Father in Heaven. Continue to, to make His honor, His kingdom, His will, your, your first and greatest priorities as you come before Him. Then submit all your other requests to that aim, to that goal, beginning with your material needs, but then going on to name your particular sins particularly. Beginning to, to name your sins, owning your sins and saying, God, here are the ways that I have failed you. Have mercy. Don't bring your righteousness to God, claiming that He owes you something. Bring your sins because you need His grace. Bring your sins because you recognize that you have failed. And even bring your sin of failing to recognize the full extent of your failure. We will repent even of our repentances until He comes to bring to completion the good work that He has begun. But do it daily. Do it 
honestly. Come to Him daily for grace. Because here is the promise. Just as I said there was a promise attached to to daily bread, just as I said by, by teaching us to ask, He is promising to deliver, it's the same here. He teaches us to ask for daily forgiveness because He's ready to give it. He's ready to offer it. The forgiveness has been bought and paid for. Our salvation is ready to be revealed, Peter says. There's nothing left to do. The work is complete. We simply have to tap into it day by day by day. The grace that is already ours in Christ. So pray regularly and make a regular part of those regular prayers. The confession of your sins. Coming to God acknowledging your debt, acknowledging your failure, and asking for the grace that He has promised to give and that He has guaranteed with the blood of His own Son. And so, with that challenge, I say, let us believe this together.